Welcome Truth Seekers all across the Fruited Plain. I'm your host, Kim S. Anderson, bringing you Civics Made Simple. Hashtag we are exceptional. These are bite-sized civics lessons designed for you to take and share wherever you go. These are important times. Times that American citizens like you and me need to know how our rights came to be and the responsibilities that go along with them. Hey everyone, and we're gonna be sharing today and talking a little bit about the nature of representation. Today's lesson is gonna be, I'm believing kind of brief, but I think you'll really enjoy it. Um, the, our objectives and the things that we're gonna to discuss today are the various styles of representation um, that are user, utilized in different countries and our own um, with the different forms of government and, diff and different government systems. And so let's get on with the nature of representation. I hear you, I hear you, let's talk about it. The organization of government. There are a few terms that we're gonna talk about today, which is one is bicameral. We're talking a little bit about the electoral college and why that's important. But let's get started with the organization of government. Um, a government is organized according to its most basic purpose for existing. Constitutional governments develop their institutions so that they can exercise power and authority um, that their citizens have granted them through the Constitution. Can I say that again? In, in, in the way we do things here, the citizens, we the people, give power and authority through the Constitution back to the, well, I don't say back to, but we give power and authority to the federal government um, through our organizational system here in the states. We give the power and authority to the government. The government does not give power and authority to us. That's why these civics lessons are important. It's important to understand where the real power lies in this country, okay? in this country, which I believe we probably feel like that's how it should be everywhere. But in this country, the power rests with we the people and we give them limited authority on how to actually construct and work on behalf of we the people. Okay. So um, the purposes to be served by the central government generally determine, determine the type of representation it gives. So in this lesson, we'll be discussing the styles of representative government. This form of government is in contrast to one that functions by means of direct popular rule. And if you remember in some earlier lessons, we talked about why being a pure democracy is dangerous because the people cannot make every single solitary decision. Like every issue can't come up for a, a majority rule, even in a small area, let alone a country of 350 million people. Like, you know, can you imagine? Like it just, it doesn't, it doesn't work because we couldn't all come together. And then you have mob rule and then you have violence because if we can just get a few more votes this way, we can just hold someone hostage. We can get them to vote our way. It just becomes a mob rule mentality and a pure democracy. And so popular rule throughout history, you know, have pretty much basically been unsuccessful because it, it seems like a great idea when you're in a small community, but it doesn't scale up to run a nation by a pure democracy. So the larger the society, the greater the difficulty becomes in trying to function as a direct pure democracy. 
So then what, then how do we do this thing? What are the different types um, of organization that would be a representative of a government? I said that, that was a lot of words. But what would, so what would be the best type then? If you can't be a pure democracy, then what would be the best type of representative government? Is that better? So there are a couple of things. One is a system of shared powers or a parliamentary system. So let's talk about those two. I need some more water. I try to go really fast. Okay. Shared power system. A government that operates under a system of shared powers has a constitution that divides the governmental powers among its branches. Hopefully that sounds familiar to you. Each branch has a specifically has specifically assigned duties and responsibilities. However, the three, the, the, however, it also shares powers and functions with other branches of government. The United States is an example. And I believe the best example of a government that operates under a system of shared powers. The three branches here are everyone should know this, but if not, that's why we're going to tell you the executive branch, the legislative branch, and the judicial branch each have primary responsibilities that have been assigned to them. However, each branch also shares powers in many areas. For example, the president, Congress, and the judicial branch all have specific responsibilities in dealing with the laws that are passed. I mean, they still have to work together. That's what, that's what the lesson is trying to convey. They still have to work together. The president still has to work with Congress and they still have to work with the judicial branch to make sure that the things that they're pulling together are still constitutional and for the good of all. So the president has the ideas, the Congress essentially should write the laws and the judicial should make sure that those laws that they write are constitutional so that we can move forward. That is how we share powers ideally in the United States. I said ideally. I'm just going to leave it at that. Ideally, that's how we share powers. Our government shares powers in the United States. Now, parliamentary. I'm just pulling my notes over in parliamentary systems. Um, great Britain would be a great example of a parliamentary system in England. The authority is held by the legislature that is known by known as parliament. Um, like the system in the United States, parliament is a bicameral legislate, legislative body, bicameral, meaning it has two houses. Um, in Britain, they have the House of Lords and the House of Commons. The prime minister is chosen in a convention held by the majority party from the House of Commons. And then that prime minister then forms a cabinet and is responsible for the blah, 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 blah. I want to get this out. Let me say that again. The prime minister in Great Britain is chosen by convention um, by the majority party from the House of Commons. Then the prime minister forms a cabinet and is responsible for directing the affairs of the government of Great Britain. So they still have two houses similar to us. We have, you know, the House of Representatives and the U.S. Senate. Um, but our but the way of electing our national leaders is different um, in England. Versus how we how we elect or select our natural our natural our national leaders here. 
So in order to actually be a part of the representation process here in the States, you have to do, you have to do a few things. Um, the history of our country says that, you know, not everybody was granted the ability to vote for representation. And so it has come a long way from the, from the, from the founding of who could vote. Um, but some of the criteria initially was based on religion, was based on race, was based on ethnicity, was based on sex. You know, after the Civil War, black Americans were given the, the right to vote. Um, but it wasn't until 1920 that women were given the right to vote. Usually at that particular time, it was the only landowners could vote in elections. Isn't that interesting? And then now the, the, the barrier to voting is age. You have to at least be 18 in the States. Excuse me, my eyes itching. You have to at least be 18 in the States to vote. And, and last but not least, even though this might seem really funny, I'm going to say it. Um, you also to vote should be a citizen of the United States. Just going to leave that right there. So we've overcome some barriers, overcome some racial barriers. Um, we've overcome some sex, some sexual, uh, sexual, but you know, like women couldn't vote. Now they can. Blacks couldn't vote. Now they can. The, and you have to be 18 to vote and you have to be a citizen of, of, of our country to vote in elections in our country. That's just kind of how it is. And so <laughs> just going to put it out there. So you vote on your representation here in the States that way. Now, um, there are variations in this electoral process and this electoral representation. Um, in some areas, there's what's called a winner take all method of representation. Um, in other districts, there may be multiple representatives based on a proportion of the votes that have been received. That's called proportional representation. Um, the prime example of a majority vote, winner take all style, of, excuse me, of representation is the electoral college. Each state has a total number of electors equal to the, com the combined total of their senators and representatives. Um, all electors are expected to cast their ballot for the candidate who received the most popular votes in their respective state elections. We just came from, we just, you know, not too long ago went through um, a presidential election and so every year, every time we come to a presidential election, we all get really, really familiar again with the Electoral College. Like it didn't exist before that election, but it's been standing the test of time for quite some time. And, um, you know, it's, it's unique to the states that we have an Electoral College. And it's one, once again, one of those brilliant strokes that came out of um, the confederal to federal government process was the electoral college. It's just, it's so simple, but it's, it's so unique and it's so incredible that it's, it's like, I feel like it's almost a stroke of genius that, um, that the founding fathers got to, to set up and establish an electoral college. Um, it's just genius. It's just genius. So with that, that I think is our lesson. How cool is that? Just the different basis for representation, variations in the electoral representation process um, and the nature of representation is it's they can be parliamentary systems and there can be shared power systems. We happen to like our shared power system um, for the most part. Um, 
it keeps us protected as citizens and gives us the ability to express ourselves via our vote. And so I'm going to wrap up here. I was trying to get that through without grabbing some more water. We're next going to be talking about in our next video, um, fundamental values and principles. That should be pretty interesting. Um, I see we're talking about self-government, the influence of the founding fathers. That should be pretty interesting. We may split that up into a couple videos too. Um, but anyway, what I want to say as we leave out today, thank you once again so much for, for taking the time so that we can take civics all across this country so that people can begin to understand what a, a privilege it is to be a citizen of this great country, to live on in this wonderful land. And so for such a time as this, I believe we've been called to help share and spread the word of civics. And so let's all do our part. God bless you guys, and we'll talk to you soon. Have a great one, everybody. Bye. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Civics Made Simple. This is your host, Kim S. Anderson, inviting you to visit our site, kimsanderson.me.me for the latest and most up-to-date information on our podcast and our store. Follow us at hashtag WeAreExceptional on Instagram and Twitter. God bless, and we'll see you next time.